Hi everybody, welcome to the Stratosphere Lounge. Uh, it is uh, Thursday the 8th of June in 2023, if you can believe that. I still no jetpacks. Every day I just, just sit there and look out the window waiting for the Amazon truck. I almost said UPS truck, but I mean it's 2023. Just, you know, I put in an order for one back in, when was that? 66 or 67, I think, so it's definitely overdue. Um, anyway, here we are. So, hey, speaking of jetpacks and, and things, um, before we get to the questions, we're going to try and get to the questions earlier tonight. Of course, that's what I always say. Uh, but um, on the uh, 12th, which is Monday, it's a few days from now as we record this, I'm going to be doing my um, epic uh, moon landing defense thing for... Uh, Fox Business. And I just wanted to make sure that I hadn't forgotten anything. So uh, for those of you who either believe the moon landing happened or those that don't believe the moon landing happened, if you do believe the moon landing happened, that would be most of you, I, I hope, um, I just want to see if I've missed anything. So if you wouldn't mind, we'll just take a few moments, not what you believe, but just to point out what you've heard in terms of why what I don't want to come up I don't want to be blindsided by them having an argument that I'm not ready to go um, so what what have you heard I've heard um, the Van Allen belts I think I've got that one pretty much nailed stars in the sky I've got that one nailed uh, and I just want to see what else we got so um, the lines aren't parallel you know the shadows aren't parallel that one's easy as well um, but other than that, anybody got any other ones? Oh, it's quiet in here. Although there is always that delay. Flag shadow is wrong. Okay. So the flag shadow, and the flag shadow is a shadow problem, but the flag moving is, is just so easily done. Um, the plus of the photo that goes behind the astronauts in the photo, I don't know what that means. Couldn't have been done without computers. I got that one nailed. Reflection in a space plate. I've never heard that. They'll find one of 15 points to stump you, claim victory, and then have amnesia when the next person refutes that point and gets stumped by a different one. I'll tell you one thing. Um, the plus lines in the photo, the line goes behind the astronaut. Oh, 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 you mean the, the little uh, registration lines? The, the, yeah. Okay, well, first of all, I want to see the original picture. But... One cross line in one picture could be explained by many things, including being overexposed. So I, I should be ready for that. That's why I'm asking. Uh, the grifter started the moon landing conspiracy and the enemies of American exceptionalism took note. Yes, that's a great point. Um, let's see. I, I, I don't... Somebody's mentioned the lander footage taking off from the moon. What's wrong with that? Um, the reflection of the faceplate is a new one. Claim apparently that they see the reflection of a camera crew, do they? Okay. Um, so, uh, I think I need to go to the original. Let me just, this is, this is exactly what I wanted actually. So thanks for this. Uh, I didn't want. I didn't want to be well. I don't. I don't know much about that. I, I just want to have them all shot down. By the way, 
Um, and this is really, really important when you're dealing with this kind of thing. Um, I'm going to just say, now that we've dealt with all of these issues, you have to tell me your theory. You don't get to just keep shooting at things without providing an explanation. So you tell me what you think happened. That's where you really have to start. Right? Well, the whole thing was faked. Yeah, I got that part, okay, definitely. So it was faked, yes. Was it shot on Earth? Yes. Where? Now you start getting um, contradictions. This is the other thing I found about conspiracy theories, especially with the JFK thing. The people who, who think that there was a conspiracy to assassinate JFK all agree that there was a conspiracy to assassinate JFK, but none of them can agree on who, that conspir who the conspirators were. That's, that's important because that's telling me that there is no theory behind the theory, right? How many people, how many people you talked about 9-11 being an inside job? It's like, well, all I know is the people that watched it happen. We all have the same story and all of us have the same story. We can tell you the same thing. All of you guys start diverging the second that we start talking about this thing. Um, let's see what we got. Uh, Kubrick said it was fake. <laughs> well, first of all, show me the quote. Show me where it appears. Secondly, one guy saying it's fake doesn't outweigh. I'm going to destroy the entire one guy said, that guy said. I'll just, I'm, I'm ready for that. So um, let me see reflections in the faceplate of the camera crew. I guess they forgot that. You know what's interesting about that, however? What's interesting about that is there are no reflections of a camera crew in the faceplate. I never thought about that before. Every one of those shots is a is a giant fisheye traffic mirror. There should be lights and camera crew in every single frame coming off of the off of the gold faceplate. Why didn't that occur to me before? The the video is moving in real time, looking at the camera. You can see what what why did that not occur to me? My God. That I am very glad, uh, very grateful for everybody. Um, that is amazing. Phosphorus says Building 7, uh, World Trade Center still has no answer, other than the fact that the two tallest buildings in the world basically fell through it and it burned for several hours. Uh, you're right, there's no, no possible explanation for that. Um, actual movies don't show cameras in mirrors. Actual movies don't show cameras in mirrors because you're dealing with a guy looking at the bathroom mirror while he's shaving, which you can shoot off angle. We're talking about a essentially a, a 180 degree panorama constantly in motion. It's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. You, you couldn't shoot. You couldn't shoot a a um, without digital effects. You couldn't shoot. A movie that had a camera in it if you had a round mirror without seeing the crew it's impossible um, so let's see um, I agree with max models on this um, that's what uh, uh, Gerald Posner in his book case closed which for me was case closed he said basically it's unacceptable that some loser with a $20 rifle could kill this 
dynamic, charismatic, pre, you know, president, they have to add emotional weight to the side of, of Oswald's scale. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, let's see. Uh, the moon is not solid. I think I can probably deal with that one. Um, is there anything else? Uh, I can't believe that that I did not think of that before. Claimed the engines weren't reliable. <laughs> who 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 claimed that the engines aren't reliable? Because I watched him fly, and so did most of the planet. So. Who claimed that the engines weren't reliable? Where's your proof? A guy said that they flew there on unicorns, or didn't. That doesn't mean anything. A guy saying anything, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who he is. I've got that whole thing I with the, with the I think with the um, the Eagles won the Super Bowl thing. Yeah, one guy. Uh, saying we never went to the moon. I really should probably take a look at that. Uh, Dave Big Booty said William Casing, who wrote, "We never went to the moon." I should probably grab that real quick um, and just kind of go over it because uh, why don't we have 2023 HD footage of rovers on the moon right now? It turns out we do. We do have those pictures. It's too too small to resolve with the lunar reconnaissance orbiter. But once the Snodson started getting serious, they altered its its. Uh, what would uh, perihelion, uh, para, uh, para, what would that be? Um, parapsis. And they got closer. They got about half the distance. And then they could resolve the legs on the lander, and all the science experiments are there, and the, the rovers are there, and their footprints are there, and the tracks are there, and the laser reflectors are there. So um, there you go. Um, who filmed the lander taking off? I hope I get that, really. I really, 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 really hope I get that. That's I think that's going to be my favorite. So, film the lander taking off. Well, those of you that were paying attention may have noticed that there was no there was no footage of the takeoff of Apollo 11 or 12 or 14. There's no footage of that because it didn't exist. Footage of the of the lander of the the top of the limb actually coming off only started with Apollo 15, and that only started with Apollo 15 because that's the first time we had a rover on the moon with a good camera on it. And the part I like most about this question is I remember hearing about how this was being done, and I remember hearing on the news that the that the scientists on NASA had to command the the the, the tilt up a second or two earlier than than the actual launch because of the distance, the time it would take for that um, radio signal to get to the moon. That's uh, just, you know, how does it, how does it happen? Does anybody, I'm, I'm sure, I have to look this up too, but I am, I am like, sometimes I, I say things where I'm like so sure I'm right and it just, it's like, are you positive? Um, and I virtually positive that on the 15, 16, and 17 missions, surely the guys on the ground are panning the camera. I just have to. I just have to confirm that. I want to be loaded for bear on this. Yes, surely because when they're driving across the moon, there's somebody. They're just kind of you know, somebody's cranking that thing around. Um, 
So, uh, <laughs> J.P. Coulter said, who drew Walter Cronkite's animation? Stanley Kubrick, you hand drew him, actually. Um, moon landing conspiracy theorists say this photo is new hoax proof. Okay, let me see here. I just got to check this out. This would be probably... Okay, hang on. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm watching this article. I'm watching this article, and they're claiming that I'm looking at the at the picture, and they're claiming that there's a mysterious man standing in the reflection of this guy's helmet. And you know what's really weird about it is that that camera grip or whatever he is is also wearing an Apollo moon suit, and he's the only one in the picture. That must have been what happened. That's probably that's probably where the the whole the whole thing got cat got out of the bag. They caught a picture of a reflection of a movie grip alone in an Apollo 11 suit, Apollo moon suit, in a fishbowl reflection, and there's your proof. Okay, hang on. We appear to have here is a figure of a human not wearing a spacesuit. All right, here we go. Still, the uploader didn't convince many commenters who thought there was a simpler explanation. Of course, it looks like an astronaut to you. See, this is what these guys will do. They do this with the with the Mars thing. Um, they'll take a picture of anything. Uh, yeah, and everybody who's commenting says uh, that's the other astronaut. Um, okay, good. If that's see, this is this is kind of actually what I just I just whenever I go into this kind of combat, I do this when I'm doing like a debate or something, you know, and I don't do many of those. But um, but when I do, I don't want to be blindsided by a question that I can't answer. And when I do this, when I so when I prep for these kind of things and I hear the other side's arguments, I actually sit back and realize it's going to be much easier than I thought it would be, you know? This is it. This is what they've got. But this this business of zooming in on things, I'll tell you the most the most amazing true story about this as a most it's just an incredibly telling experience. What were they called? Oh, okay, so this guy is I I've mentioned this a few times before. Back when I was working as an editor, I was working on the same show as a guy who was like one of the apparently um, UFO hoax guys. Right. Uh, easily uh, used against you and just about anything involving eyewitnesses, election fraud, for instance. I don't care. It's not the point. Um, you cannot, you can get a witness to say anything. You can get 30 witnesses to say anything for any number of reasons. If some crazy old guy says, well, we didn't go, and I'm a NASA engineer, well, then he's either lying or he forgot. And that's it. Those are the choices because his opinion doesn't outweigh a 365 foot tall rocket and 7 million people watching the thing take off 12 times. It doesn't outweigh it. A guy said this. Well, okay. Well, wow. A guy said that, huh? How about that? Well, you know what? Here's actually, I thought about this argument. Any, any, any variation on, um, 
Oh, there's a guy in NASA who said that it certainly didn't happen. He was an inside, inside guy at Rocketdyne. I say, I'll tell you what's interesting about that argument. About 400,000 people worked on the Apollo program. And 399,995 of them say that it did happen. So if you're telling me that one guy deep inside of NASA said it didn't happen, I can show you hundreds of thousands of guys deep inside NASA who did say it happened. So if all I was doing was comparing one guy said this and another guy said that, then there's no, then there's no right, there's, that you can't prove anything that way. Um, so it's just, it's just silly. Anyway, so uh, back to the UFO thing. So this guy was a, was a big UFO, um, I guess he was like a UFO expert. He was one of these guys, Webb was just getting started and he, um, thank you for that Dave Olson. Uh, the inside guy at Rocketdyne was William Casing. And he worked in the PR department. Isn't that interesting? Thank you for that. Carl Sagan pointed that out. Uh, he was talking about this ancient astronaut thing. Um, and uh, well, thank you very much. That that's going to be very useful. Talking about this ancient astronauts thing. The idea that the Earth was visited by you know, advanced extraterrestrials. Uh, I'm starting to become convinced based on some some pretty decent as evidence that there may have been uh, an advanced bronze or metal age civilization 5,000 years earlier than we thought, but that's a possibility. That's not, that's not out of the picture. I just have to read the traditionalist view of it. It's the same thing with the Shakespeare thing. Anyway, uh, so this guy, um, was the guy and 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 a bunch of people said you guys should have like a, a like a debate or something so it was like i don't know five or six people at this guy's apartment and i said okay what you got and he starts trotting out this evidence and i could tell you how weak all of this stuff was but i mean it was like well that's obviously a you know a, a, a bent paper clip that's lying underground that's not the umbilical cord to the shuttle that's being it's towing some kind of magnetic device because it's as thick as the shuttle is you know that kind of thing right so then he showed me something about a newly discovered form of alien life that's visiting the earth and, and he called them rods and i said all right let me see the rods and he's taken a digital camera and he slowed it down and you can see these these creatures flying through the air and they're long stretched out rods they have little things on on both sides and it's like whoop, 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 whoop. you can see these things like holy cow how big are they and stuff um and uh, and he's making such a big deal out of this. I said, how do you explain this stuff? And I said, can I see it in real time, please? Well, I mean, how do you, I, I just, I would just like to see it in real time. And when you play it in real time, it's a couple of bugs flying in front of the lens. And there's no question about it, right? None, none. Um, Monk in training says, uh, they seem to have you over the moon, Bill Semperfy. I just want to get it right. I just want to get it right. Uh, okay, thank you, Jake, uh, GK. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to be loaded for bear on this, and I feel like I am pretty prepared. I don't want to. 
I don't want to get not so much blindsided as just wrong-footed, you know. But um, yeah, I, I keep waiting for some killer argument I haven't heard, and I haven't heard it because it doesn't exist. So I guess that's about it for this. Why don't we just see if we can catch up on the questions here. Uh, one to a customer, by the way. I should have mentioned that last time. Unless we were sitting there with extra time on our hands, I think one to a customer per week is probably a pretty good limit if we're going to try and get through these things. So let's see what we got here. Nope, I don't want that. Here we go. First, we must log in members forum. Stress for lunch questions and more. That's always my favorite part of that. I just love to and more. And thanks again to Henry and GK and Marusha and everybody else who's been curating this thing. Um, okay. So here's a four-paragraph question. And I'd actually like, uh, if we're going to do questions, for them to be questions. Uh, it's not just this one person. It's just, uh, just this, sometimes it's a whole page. It's a, what's the actual question? Uh, this one comes from, surprisingly enough, Eric Blake. Uh, live long, uh, peace and long life, image of Bill Whittle. Yeah, live long and prosper, Eric. Uh, now that my brilliantly impassioned monologue to quote Rush, MHRIP is out of the way, let's discuss the electability question. And I assure you, Bill, this wasn't talked about last time. Bear with me. Stopping out the question. As you probably noticed, most likely to win is a major talking point from the DeSantis 24 crowd, particularly Ben, who, quite frankly, uh, is emotional about it. Now, this is a guaranteed trope. Come election season, the conservative Republican experts go, remember the Buckley rule, pick the most conservative candidate who can win. Thing is, last time the GOP electorate listened to that siren song, who did we get? Romney. Time before that, McCain. In 2016, the electable candidates were Jeb Bush and Scott Walker. The base ignored it, and we won. So here's a bright idea. If we're going to blather on about electability, how about we go to the ana analysts that have actually got a successful track record on the subject, namely, namely the Vegas betting pools. What do they say about a Trump versus Biden matchup and a DeSantis versus Biden matchup? That last paragraph would have done it. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen the uh, odds. Um, I, I watched them um, very closely for the 20. 22 midterms and we had a sizable lead I think we had it the, like the night of the election that's the first time I've ever seen seen that thing it wasn't a sizable lead I remember it was the Senate was very likely and for a while a couple weeks earlier the house was getting to be 80% likely too in the betting and then the house went down and might have dipped below 50 come to think of it the Senate was still um, yeah, 70 80% chance of Republicans taking over the Senate and you know, I guess they just didn't account for, I don't know, a lot of things. Maricopa County would be high on my list of things that they didn't account for, but in any event. Um, okay, let's see. Um, so I, I don't have the, the election betting odds. I can look them up. However, I agree with you. 
Um, I think they are the most reliable source by a wide margin for two reasons. Number one, the sample pool is much bigger. Three reasons. Much bigger. Some of these presidential polls are sampling a thousand likely voters or registered voters or whatever voters you want so that you get the outcome you want in the poll. So the, the, the sampling base is much, much higher. That's important. Um, the second thing about it is it is it is it's people opting in. In other words, it's not like if somebody calls you and says and says, "Do you think Biden's a good president?" Some people are going to be compelled to say, "Well, yeah, I guess he's okay," because they they don't want to be the person to you know ruffle any feathers. They don't know they don't know anything about where this is going to go. You know, it's that's why you have a curtain on the back of the voting booth. But if you if you have people coming in to say, "I think Biden's a bad president, going to lose," or Trump for for whatever the case may be, um, so that's um, I guess that's really you know about it. Oh, I'm sorry. The other thing, finally, uh, and the most important thing is um, this isn't a free vote. People are putting their own money on this. Th that's why the um, what's the what does an ox weigh worked out so well ended up that that in order to vote on how much the ox would weigh and i've talked about it so many times not going to get into it again but nevertheless um you couldn't just vote on it you had to put down the equivalent of about 50 bucks to purchase a ticket to guess the weight of the ox and the person who got closest was the winner so that that 50 dollar uh, penalty weeded out joke answers he weighs three million pounds. Ha ha ha! Well, you just lost fifty bucks. So, when in the betting pools, people also have their money on the line, and um, and I think all three of those things tend to make them very, uh, very good. Uh, betting pools say Trump versus DeSantis is sixty twenty-five. Presidency's thirty-seven percent for Biden, twenty-four for Trump, according to election betting odds. If Biden's at 37% now and Trump's at 24, that's a I would have thought those numbers would be inverted. Um, you never know, but again, these are not these are not polls that are conducted. That's that's what I was getting at. These polls are not conducted by politicians for politicians. These are bets on things that just exactly like any other bet on you know who's going to win the next football game or or whatever. Um, yeah, somebody said Trump got federally indicted today. Just keep it up, you know, keep it up. Um, and uh, it's, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get into this whole thing again. We covered this many times. Um, this is the only way DeSantis uh, gets the nomination is if Trump withdraws and endorses him, which seems unlikely. Um, I'm I'm very curious about how Trump Trump tends to respond. He he goes after everybody, um, but uh, but he he saves his most vitriolic responses to the people who attack him the most personally. And the interesting thing I'm going to be watching when this goat rodeo starts up again 
is um, is how nasty is it going to get between uh, DeSantis and Trump? Because if they keep it just civil mud throwing, you know, mudslinging, you just kind of run of the mill average. This guy's a worthless liar and he beats his wife, that kind of thing. Uh, those things can be forgiven. And I'm just wondering about DeSantis as a vice presidential candidate. I think that'd be a pretty powerful ticket. But I don't know whether we take it or not. I know Trump won't take vice president. So I think one thing to watch is just simply how nasty is it going to get. And if I'm DeSantis, I'm not going to I'm not going to attack Trump's. I'm not going to attack him personally. I'm just not going to do it. I don't see any win for DeSantis by doing it that way. I would just go, hey, look, if it were me, if I was Ron DeSantis, I would say, hey, Donald Trump, Donald Trump uh, saved us from gulags. You know, he 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 just did it. Um, and he, he made a lot of enemies there and, and so on. And, and there are many things he did as president that I thought were good and inspiring and other things that I think can be improved on. And I think I'm the guy to improve on them. I think that Florida is the case that shows that we can actually govern not only a state but a country well with no income tax, that kind of thing. Um, and and just kind of keep Trump out of it. That's what I would do because if, if he, he – DeSantis cannot afford to piss off, really, like long-term piss off the, uh, the the real hardcore Trump supporters. So um, let's see here, uh, Super Chat. Um, got it. Super Chat from Cody Fett. Bill, are you prepared for the year evil and everything you say is a lie opening? Having seen that in the recent Dr. Tour versus Mr. Farina debate, I feel compelled to ask that. Um, I, I'm obviously prepared for some version of it. And by the way, I don't think this is an actual debate. I think that the way this is structured is the host who is a comedian is going to be making the arguments and myself and other people, not at the same time, are there to rebut the arguments. That's my understanding of it. It's supposed to be kind of, you know, kind of a give and take and sort of, you know, um, you know, Little little jibes and bon mots and that kind of. Did I say bon mots? Good God. So um, I, I do actually have an answer for that. If somebody said uh, you're evil and everything you say is a lie, is a lie, my response to that would be, well, you're evil and everything you say is a lie. Want to get down to the facts now, or do you want to just keep doing this all day? You're a Nazi and you're and you're this. You're you know what? You're a Nazi and you're this. And I'm just going to keep mirroring it back. There's a there's a great little beat in um, Parks and Recreation. I never once watched an episode of Parks and Recreation, but I've watched just about every clip of of um, oh, for the love of God, it was right in my right in my uh, Ron Swanson, um, and he said um, he was going to there was some kind of an inquiry or something with the local local government officials. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer every question with a question, you know. This is not what he said, but it was words they picked up. Do you, do you know anything about this missing money? Why would I know something about this missing money? Well, you're the guy who's in charge of the money. Am I? That kind of thing was just grand. It was just brilliantly written. I really loved it. Uh, hey, look at this. There's another super chat from um, Pitsky P. Uh, I... I was not convinced about Trump about two months ago, but now I am behind him all the way. Thanks for the stream as always, Bill. You're very welcome, Pitsky. Um, 
it's going to okay so here's here's just to wrap this question up in terms of the you know yet another forecast and we're not even we still got you know a year and a half to go good lord um Trump is such a polarizing figure. It looks like Trump's going to be the Republican nominee unless something dramatic happens. And then the question will be, will more, will more people come out because they're terrified of a second Biden term or will more people come out because they're terrified of a second Trump term? That's really what it is. I've heard a number of people say that you don't really go and vote for somebody so much as people come out to vote against somebody. I think there's probably some truth to that. We've got to stop this guy. Um, so we'll see. But um, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't like those numbers, but it's still early. Um, Eric Blake says, I'll say this, Bill. I was a cruise guy in 2016. Their fight was pretty ugly. When Trump became the nominee, we got over it. Yes, that's, that's exactly what I'm hoping for. Um, Mal Frank says, Trump was federally indicted today. It's over. I feel sick. I'm, I don't. Um, I, I I really don't. I, I just, at this point, these things just like water off the back of a duck for me. And I think virtually all of his supporters feel that way. I can't think of a single Republican, let me rephrase that, I can't think of a conservative um, who who's going to have their vote changed by this kind of thing. Uh, Phosphorus says the Senate will try to, likely try to disqualify Trump from running. They can try all they want to. The more they try to, the more they try to knock this guy out of the race, the more fanatical a Trump supporter I become. You know, that's that's my attitude about this. If you're going to weaponize the government and you're going to and you're going to weaponize the government against this one guy, then um, then there's something about that guy that's making you bring out all of your guns, and. You don't want to show all those guns, but you're showing them anyway, because you don't want people to know just how much you know power you really have. And if people are that desperate to stop him, um, then uh, then he's doing something right. What happens if they succeed? I don't know how they can look. As far as I understand it, as far as I understand it, Trump could be in jail, and people could vote for him and have him be elected president. Um, so that's my latest understanding of the, of the situation. And I, it, you know, it may come to that. And, and if he is in jail, then I'm, then I'm not only going to vote for him, I'm going to vote, vote for him many times. Um, yeah, Dave Big Booty, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That was Trumpy Juan Kenobi. Uh... FBI docs show that Biden involved in a $5 million bribe for Ukraine. Well, what, what a surprise. Uh, and uh, precious curmudgeon, I'm sorry, precocious curmudgeon, sorry about that. Are you ruling out the dark horse candidate RFK Jr.? I'm ruling him out of the Republican primary. Um, I think the Democrats are practically wetting themselves to find somebody to replace Biden, some way to do it. Um, uh, Tom Bombadil says, the good side doesn't always win. No, it often does not win. Absolutely correct. Uh, but the good side has to keep fighting anyway. So that's how you determine whether or not you belong on the 
on the team, you know? How many kicks to the face can you take and get back up again? It's not a question of getting depressed or sad or cynical or angry. I was angry. I was practically insane for two months after the 2020 election, you know? But then, you know, you, you just get back up and keep fighting them. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and I don't know what they do about Kamala Harris. Uh, they can't replace her. I, I think that's pretty much a given. Uh, you can't possibly just put, replace the first black woman female vice president. Um, uh, Bucka uh, five eighty eight said um, they would want Newsom. Newsom wants the job. Newsom's very photogenic, but I think I think Newsom would be very surprised. And I think most of the country would be very surprised if they heard him uh, debating against anybody. I think Trump would, would just destroy him, destroy him. Um, because uh, $800 haircut is just, that's all he is. There's nothing to him. He's just a walking political caricature of the limousine liberal. He's just... He's just, he is an awful, awful, awful man. And, and the reason I think that anybody would destroy, um, would destroy Newsom in the election is because all you have to do is just crack out the, the uh, statistics and just show what's happened to California under his uh, governorship and show what happened to San Francisco under his, um, under his mayor, mayorship. They will elect Kamala as a face, and then the same cabal that is running Bernie right now will rule the world. I don't think the, the cabal that is ruling the world is running Bernie, because if the cabal that was ruling the world wanted to run Bernie, they would have run Bernie. They would have run him in 16. They would have run him again in 20. Um, let's not forget Biden was just barely even mentioned in the race, and then all of a sudden here comes South Carolina primary, and next thing you know, he's the nominee. Um, Newsom said he would arrest DeSantis if he came to California to campaign. Man, if I'm if I'm Ron DeSantis, I would absolutely 100%. I would 100% make that a, a publicity. I would 100%. I would find out what it was that that whether or not Newsom had a, any kind of a charge, even if he had a charge, I don't care. If if if, he, if Newsom actually said that, and it sounds like him, if Newsom actually said, if Ron DeSantis comes to California, I'll arrest him. If I'm Ron DeSantis, I'm, it's like, um, Susie, get me the first flight uh, to LAX and notify the press and tell everybody that there's going to be a, a national level scene at Terminal 4 at 2 o'clock uh, in the baggage claim area, right? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Tom Bombadil says, no, Bill, I meant weekend with Bernie. <laughs> not Bernie Sanders. It's hard to tell these these old uh, kind of overripe corpses from each other. Honestly, just to uh, just to answer that for you, I would have I would have if he actually said that I would have I would have been on the plane that day. Um. So let's see what we got here for the next question. Now, Michael Baker, who um, doesn't uh, write a lot of uh, questions, I, I certainly want to take it. But he's proposed a script for a Bud Light ad, and it's basically um, it's basically the um, uh, the um, 
Harry and Paul bit about you know these two old Br British guys in a gentleman's club arguing about whether somebody is queer or not and I just don't think I'm going to read it just because uh, I, I don't really want to act it out I think it's I think it's clever um, and and when I started writing this is all I did I just I basically just stole Monty Python things I just stole it I just had I just had argument clinic verbatim word for word we shot a scene like that because I just thought it was so hilarious that we just you know I wasn't going to I wasn't pretending I wrote it but I thought it was just so hilarious that uh, the two of us could uh, outdo um, John Cleese and Michael Palin in terms of the hilarity of the delivery and it turns out I was wrong about that um, so thank you for the question, Michael, and uh, and I hope you don't mind me skipping it over. Okay, let's see. We're, we're going with our one per customer rule until we get done here. Uh, hey, here's one from Eli Nord. It's always nice to see uh, relatively new names here. Um, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, running for GOP nomination, most likely just to earn name recognition, said he would be willing to give up certain Ukrainian territories to Russia if Russia was willing to leave its alliance with China. He stated the Russia-China alliance is the biggest threat to U.S. foreign policy. While most of us are familiar with your take on the Ukraine war, would you agree with his statement that the Russia-China alliance is our biggest foreign policy issue? He also made statements that he would raise the voting age to 25 and allow 18 to 24-year-olds to vote if they passed a civics exam. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning hard towards Vivek. Uh, those two statements right there, sweet. Some interesting concepts, but not sure how electable he would be. I'm not endorsing this guy. Just curious to get your thoughts on some of his policies. Um, well, first of all, uh, as much as it uh, pains everybody, um, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy doesn't get to decide what Ukraine is going to do with uh, Crimea or other territories. That's going to come down to Ukraine and Russia that's what's going to decide that and and everybody else has just got an opinion and and it's uh, you know it's an opinion and it doesn't mean anything I'm not exactly calling it virtue signaling i'm just saying it's it's just hot air you know i have an opinion too about the, the territories and no one's going to listen to my opinion either so that's not i just don't find that to be a serious talking point um now the bigger question obviously is the Russia-China alliance. Um, having just finished the Cold War, um, and the funny thing about the Cold War was there's 13 episodes and 12 and a half of them went from 1947 to 1972. Virtually everything after that was in the last episode because all the interesting stuff happened in the first half of the Cold War. Um, the um, so in 1972 Nixon did two things of note 72 and going into 73 I think the first thing he did was um, he uh, decided to um, bomb North Vietnam in Hanoi for the first time during the war or at least during everything after the Gulf of Tonkin anyway. He just sent B-52s over the capital and struck industrial targets in the capital, but we all know what non-precision bombing of a capital does. Um, so the 
the communists had been avoiding peace talks because it wasn't in their interest to talk peace. They were, they had Lyndon Johnson and Democrats lined up, and these are the guys who were saying same altitude, same airspeed, same direction, same time of day, same call signs, same everything. Just you don't even have to. The North Vietnamese don't even have to put anti-aircraft guns or fighters. They can just string nets and and catch the F-105s coming in. So Nixon decides, okay, well, let's see what we can do if we decide to actually fight as if we were a, a superpower. That's right, Matt Mitten's got it as a linebacker, too. So um, all of a sudden, to their amazement, and I mean their actual amazement, and I know it was amazement because I've heard stories of how quickly they changed their attitudes on the ground. All of a sudden, North Vietnam is fighting a superpower and not just um, not just a regional power, you know, led by um, by brownies, like Girl Scout brownies, you know. All of a sudden, they're facing the, they're not facing the full might and fury of the United States. They know that too. But they're starting to get a taste of what it's like to have fleets of B-52s instead of just, you know, a couple fighters or fighter bombers making a run on a ground target. So after, I want to say, seven or eight days, they're, they're like suing for peace. So Nixon turned up the pressure, got Hanoi to the peace table, signed a peace agreement and as that pe- I, I, I'm just determined to keep saying this people sometimes think I'm just reaching for things maybe I am I just think that I just think that the people who fought the Vietnam War deserve some credit when that war officially over when it ended we won the war in terms of the objectives of the war and there's no denying that the entire war was fought because the communist North Vietnamese invaded the south and the United States supported South Vietnam in order to drive them back behind the line and keep them in North Vietnam. And when we signed the peace agreement, that was exactly what had happened. They were back behind the line. It was a goddamn mess. And it was all of the things that it was. I'm not trying to say anything about it. Not going to say anything about it. Um, in terms of like, gee, what a, what a swell war. But but as a as a if you had the conditions during the entire Vietnam War, American Vietnam War, the, the conditions of victory were put the North back above the North Vietnamese border and have a and have a free South Vietnam. And when we left, when we signed that peace agreement, that's what we had. That's what we had. And Nixon, in this general time period, did a second thing that was absolutely brilliant. He made the Cold War into a into a triangle instead of a bipolar thing. You would think that that China being a communist power and, and Soviets being a communist power, you would think that they would be just united in brotherly love. Uh, that never really happened. When, when Mao um, finished his revolution, I want to say 1947, that seems about right. He went to Moscow, and um, and he and Stalin sat in the same limousine, and were driving around, being shown the sights by staff officers, and um, they didn't say a word. They did not like each other at all. So China went off and did its own thing, and you would have thought that they would be, uh, you know, comrades. But the fact of the matter is, is that forty nine. Thank you, Dave. Um, but the fact of the matter is that. Uh, that Russia and China have an extensive border, and that border is as ancient as about anything on this planet. 
the Rus and the Chinese have been have been I won't say mortal enemies, but they've that's always been their primary threat. They, Russia's always looking towards Europe, but really their real border was always with China. That's where they're, that's where the people could really hurt them in terms of the only thing the Soviets were good at, which is a land army. Um, so, um, so Nixon brought China to the table, and 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 Mao realized it was in his advantage to get chummy with America, because that increased his leverage with both America and the Soviets. So what Nixon did was he just he just unlocked the Cold War. And as I said in the Cold War series, there was an excellent chance. My favorite, and I said this verbatim in, in episode 13, I think. I said my favorite video clip from the Cold War is one that I discovered within a few days of finishing the series of the Cold War. My favorite video clip of the Cold War is Nixon and Brezhnev signing, I'm pretty sure it was the SALT-1 agreements. Brezhnev got to be just a stuffed mummy with a, with a you know, mechanical hand. But if you look at that, and, and you really do need to find it, and I'm sure somebody uh, will put it up in the comment section here. Nixon and Brezhnev sat down for this thing, and they were so euphoric about the idea of easing the pressure. This is Nixon's detente easing the pressure and and walking back the growth of these weapons and eventually talking about reducing them and then eventually eliminating them so nixon and brezhnev are there and they're they're both shake hands and they're smiling then they go to their separate tables right and the guys bring out their you know their their bound copies of the things to sign and 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 um brezhnev is about to sign and he and he makes a joke it's a it's a it's just hilarious he makes a joke of like looking over like he's, he's trying to he's trying to like copy off of nixon's paper you know like that nixon looks over and sees him and covers covers the paper up just the way you would in high school brezhnev laughs his tail off nixon's laughing they're both signing their agreements then if i remember correctly Brezhnev is trying to time it so that he that he finishes his signature right around the same time as Nixon or something, and they're both doing this flourish, and finally Nixon just goes, dots the eye on Nixon, and everybody laughs, and they get up and shake hands, and and that that wasn't staged, that was that was genuine goodwill. And if it hadn't been for Watergate, the Cold War could have ended in the early 70s, effectively. Um effectively could have could have I really think they could have. That that chemistry you really have to see it i i was just just blown away by it at how at how much fun they were having they were having fun um so then along comes watergate um is this the same as taking uh 30,000 emails at top security uh you know including top secret emails and storing them on a on a server in your um, in, a, in a bathroom apartment bathroom no it's nothing close to that is it the same thing as you know taking 10 percent for the big guys nothing close to that right that what what nixon what nixon did was apparently okay a plan to spy on the democratic national committee by breaking into the watergate complex and and stealing some records and None other than it was either Woodward or Bernstein, one of the two. These are the, for those of you not up on ancient history, two reporters for the Washington Post. That's back when the Post was doing actual journalism. Um, I think what Woodward and Bernstein did was important to the to the health of the country. 
Um, I just wish they'd do it for the people that are doing all the cheating now. It's why Republicans are, you know, one of the reasons why we're more honest is because we get fact, we, we, we get we get investigated. But before the press became the, the, the steno pool for the Democratic Party, um, they they broke this story and ran with it. And either Woodward or Bernstein, these two guys pretty much brought down the President of the United States. One of them said that while we were on the story, we both realized that Nixon could have ended this thing, Watergate, and stayed in office if he had written one sentence on the back of a napkin. And who, again, Woodward or Bernstein, I don't remember which, said, and that sentence would be something to the effect of, while I did not authorize this break-in, it certainly happened under my watch. I'm the leader of the Republican Party. I take full responsibility for the break-in. People who are involved with this will be punished, and I will... I will make sure and take measures that this will never happen again. But yes, it is on me. It is my responsibility as the president of the United States that these people went and did this thing and and I'm just going to be completely open about it. Because all of the cover up and all the and the missing tape, you know, 14 minutes of missing time on the tape, Nixon didn't Nixon wasn't forced to resign because of the Watergate break in. He was forced to resign because of the cover up, because of because of the he just was just constitutionally wired and i mean physical sense he was wired for paranoia and also for pride he couldn't just come out and do what anybody with a half a brain would have done right which is use the plausible deniability but don't avoid the responsibility that way People look at you, oh, what an honest guy. Because Tricky Dicky, right? He was always known to be like a liar and corrupt. That's what the Democrats painted him as. So if Nixon had just come out and said, yes, there was a break-in, and yes, it was to get files from the Democratic National Committee, and yes, the people that did it were operatives that were working for the Republican Party, and I'm the head of the Republican Party. I did not order that break-in. However, I should have known about it, and I didn't. And since I didn't, I bear responsibility for this because I'm the President of the United States of America. They did it in my name, or at least in the name of the Republican Party, and so therefore I'm responsible for what happened here. And not only will I make sure that this doesn't happen again, but I, I, it, whatever consequences there me, I'm not above the law. I'm a regular citizen like everybody else. That's what happened, and now let's move. Not, not let's get past it. But that's what happened. So, what's next? And Woodward and Bernstein both said if they, if he had written that, anything along those lines, it would have been over. It would have just been over. But he just kept running and lying and running and lying and running and lying and, and. And it just got to the point where it was just the, the whole thing was just so rotten and so complex. Um, he just could have done it. Um, and uh, it's always nice to see this. Lady Hawk MB says, just like Kennedy did with the Bay of Pigs. Yes, and, 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 and the one who really could have put the Cold War away and put it away in 19... 54, 55, 56. Um, and that is Eisenhower needed to know what the Soviet missile strength was before the Paris summit he was going to have with Khrushchev. He and Khrushchev had had a cool, they had not hit it off well, but then Eisenhower had taken Khrushchev to Camp David. 
and did what Nixon and uh, and did what Reagan and Gorbachev did twenty some years later. They talked about their kids. They went out for walks and so on. Khrushchev actually started to take a shine to Eisenhower. Now Eisenhower is in this situation where he's got this thing coming up. We've already done overflights of the Soviet Union and the U two. The CIA wants one more. The State Department probably doesn't want to do it. Defense does. Eisenhower's thinking, we're going to be talking about missiles. I need to know what they've got. I need to know what this missile gap is. That was the term everybody was banning about at the time there. And so Eisenhower authorized one more flight of the U-2. One more. And that was Francis Gallery Powers flight. So that thing was shot down over the Soviet Union. Khrushchev gave Ike, an, he gave him an out. He gave him a get-out-of-jail-free card. Khrushchev said... Well, it's obviously an American spy plane. There's no question about that. The, the first statement, that first of five or six that Eisenhower White House put out was it was a weather plane or something like that. And Khrushchev comes forward and says, look, we, it's obviously an, uh, an American spy plane, and we have the pilot. But I refuse to believe that, that President Eisenhower authorized this. I, I refuse to believe that he knew about this kind of thing because I don't think President Eisenhower would have done that kind of thing. It was Khrushchev handing Ike a get-out-of-jail-free card, a, a face-saving card away. He, he's, he's writing plausible deniability on a piece of paper and slipping it under the table to Ike. And Ike continued to stonewall, and then he, he basically said, basically lied about it again and Khrushchev eventually got to the point where he felt like okay well he's he's just gonna screw me over like that fine and the Paris summit fell apart and we got another cold war for 20 years and then Watergate happened and we got it for another 20 years so the cold war could have been uh, a 12-year war 13-year war instead of a 48-year war um, but that's what happened that's what actually happened um, so um, this all comes back to the big question, which was asked of, I don't know, half a century ago, the Russia-China thing. From the beginning of the Soviet Union, the Soviets, I get into this a lot in Empire of Terror, immediately after the revolution, while the Civil War is still going on, Lenin has to find hard cash, foreign capital, because the ruble's worthless, he has to get some hard capital in order to start something he called the Communist International Common Turn. And the Soviets were paying big money to cause um, agitation and unrest in countries that appeared that they might go communist and also started to um, uh, undermine places like the United States, Great Britain, and all the rest of them. Because the Soviet system, Leninism, has to maintain control, and it has to maintain control from the center, and that control has to be has to be uh, exercised through terror. That's the way Lenin thought. The thing I kept I, I kept coming to it again and again and again and again and again. Stalin's one of the greatest monsters in history in terms of the number of people killed, but the, but but Le Lenin wrote the manual. And Stalin just followed the instructions. It's all Lenin, all of it. The whole Soviet system is Lenin. So, the Chinese didn't much like the idea that well, we're now we're communist, you know, comrades and brothers. And the the Soviet attitude was 
That's right, and um, and we'll be sure to let you have a little say when we have the next common term meeting before we issue our orders. So that didn't go over well with the communist Chinese. And so now the question is, what does it do today? Right now, there's no question it's a marriage of convenience. There's nothing in the there's nothing in the alliance between Russia and China that China gets out of this other than other than the chance to, to chip away at the United States. And it's an odd time for an alliance because China's military is essentially, it's slowly beginning to evolve out of this, but, but the bulk of it is either Soviet weaponry or copies of Soviet later Russian um, weaponry. And that weaponry has become a laughingstock. Um, so, this alliance on the part of China is not something that they're doing out of strength. Exactly right. Tim Morris says the Chinese get cheap energy. That's it, right? They'll 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 um, line up with Putin, exchange for cheap energy. They know that that keeping the war going is in the interest of the communist Chinese because that just keeps NATO down and all of the all of the you know, the recriminations and splitting up the country and whose fault it is and all the rest of it. It's all, it's all a win for China. Um, Russia's position is we need some weapons and we need them now. We need weapons that actually work. Even if there are designed weapons, we need them uh, to work. Um, Tim Morris says a lot of the new Chinese weapons seem to be based on uh, Western systems. Yeah, it takes a little while to spy your way into, um, into uh, you know, this kind of technical sophistication. It's much easier to buy your way into it than spy your way into it, but first you buy, then you spy, I guess, for China. Um, and so and so this alliance is something that they both kind of need, and it doesn't really cost them anything. It's not going to turn public opinion against either one of them. They're both not highly regarded in terms of the rest of the world. And so it will last for as long as the Ukraine war lasts, and and when it, when it's over russia is in an enormously enormously weaker position than it was um before the ukraine war and and there's two things to say about that the obvious thing is they've lost an awful lot of men tanks airplanes and so on so they've taken a lot of losses but what they've really lost is they've lost the mystique of being um a capable superpower they've they've lost the mystique of being the alternative to the United States and Western weapons. The big bad Red Army with their T-90 tanks and all of their attack aircraft and all the rest of it, these were things that were that were inflated by the Russians to look like, like a pufferfish or like a cat that arches his back. They're trying to look bigger than tougher than they really are. And when Putin decided he wanted to cross this border, and to his amazement, people started fighting back. The first thing that disappeared, because I remember this very clearly, after two weeks, the first thing that disappeared was this kind of sense of, well, you got to watch out for those Russian weapons. And near as I can tell from watching the Ukraine war, there is no Russian tactic or even strategy other than just keep throwing people into the grinder until you get what you want. Um, but if you're going to lie to your troops about where they're going, I don't think Xerxes did that. I'm not aware of that ever happening before. So look, so this thing will last for a while, and then... And then it will eventually just sort of fade away. They're not going to be friends. They have a mutual border, and somebody here can tell me. 
the United States-Canada border is the, is the longest undefended border in the world. It might be the longest border in the world, actually. But it's a significant, the border with Russia and China is a significant fraction of that Canada-US border. And so they're both ammoing up. Putin's out of ammo. China's going to sell them their, you know, the stuff that they're replacing. And Russia's going to come out of this thing, even if Russia just essentially just wipes the map clean, if it, just say that they did. I just don't see that happening, but just say that they did. They're still enormously weaker than they went in, than they were when they went in. No one's afraid of their weapons anymore. I heard a NATO analyst, military analyst said, now this was an extreme kind of a statement, but I think there was merit to what he was saying. He basically was saying that that one of the the largest motivations for Putin to use tactical nuclear weapons, to actually use them, he said, was because it is it is inconceivable and intolerable that the Russians would face American weapons directly. He said that he suspected, and I think this number feels right to me personally, given the experience we've had in the last 20 years and so on, if the United States were to get involved in a shooting war with Russia, and I don't see any any possible way that's going to happen at all, at all. But if they did, he estimated that the casualty ratio would be 1,000 to 1. And that sounds about right to me, actually. About 1,000 to 1. Because we have an Air Force, and we have a Navy, and we have submarines, and we have all these other things. And Russia's struggling against a country that doesn't have any of those things. So I just think that basically it's going to be... Uh, It's just going to last as long as the Ukraine war lasts. Um, I personally, from an, from, uh, I personally think it's a mistake to send the M1 over there, and I, I, I I'm quite confident it's a mistake to send F-16s over to Ukraine. Um, and the reason for this is because this Putin's power base has been so badly eroded by this and he's killed a number of his top level supporters and a number of them have been killed in the field that the reason that i wouldn't have sent the uh, the m1 and the m16 i would have sent just about anything else but not those two because those two are so iconic they're iconic american weapons and putin needs to show his russian people that the story he's telling them is true that this all is about nato encroachment on on uh, russia which conveniently leaves out the fact that he invaded Ukraine in 2014 and all the rest of this Russian-Soviet aggression that's happened since the end of World War II, um, which is endless. Um, so uh, we, uh, Cameron says, we sent a much downgraded version of the M1. I, I get it. I'm saying I don't even know. I don't even care if, the, if they sent an empty version of the M1 with no electronics and no weapons, if they just sent something that looked like the M1, the M1 is so distinctive, and so is the F-16, that I think if the Russian people see these weapons in the hands of the Ukrainians, they're going to believe Putin's line about how this is about defending the motherland rather than just a simple invasion to gain power and territory, which is exactly what it was. Exactly what it was. Uh, and uh, Dave Big Booty says, what about A-10s? A-10s as well. That's That, that would fit in the same category i wouldn't i wouldn't have sent those um but in any event um 
we uh, the the Russia China alliance does not worry me at all. In fact, neither Russia nor China worries me. I'm concerned about them, but I don't fear them. There's nothing about Russia or China that I fear as an American. I'm afraid of my own government. I almost said the progressive left, but they were just a bunch of losers and weenies. But now, with a weaponized federal government and a weaponized FBI and weaponized tech companies, that, that really scares me. And the tech companies and the, and the, uh, the deep state, these are our primary threats. They, su they supersede the southern border, in my opinion. Because you can't solve the southern border or any other problems if you don't have free free flow of information and you don't and you don't allow law enforcement to do you not only don't allow law enforcement to do their job you give law enforcement a direct order not to do their job so that's what that's what I would go after anyway moving on um, yeah I, I actually bears memory uh, uh, We were, yeah, and uh, CP Tomes point this out in um, in the Twitch stream. I'll just close with this because it's important. The the guys that are doing the, the the heavy lifting in terms of what success the Russians have had is pretty much Wagner Group, Wagner Group, if you like. I I prefer Wagner personally. These are private mercenaries, and um, they're probably at least now anyway the best troops that that is on the Russian side. But they went to war with the United States of America for about a day. And they did not enjoy the experience. This is widely under-publicized event, but in in Syria several years ago, the Russians sent the the, the Wagner group the Wagner group into I'm pretty sure it was Syria in insignificant numbers, hundreds of them to go in and, and take some objective or something. And the United States said, no, I don't think so. And so for about 24 hours, these Russian mercenaries weren't facing, you know, villagers with bolt action rifles. They weren't even facing uh, Ukrainians with javelins. They were facing gunships. They were facing Apaches. They were facing A-10s. And they were destroyed, hundreds killed hundreds of them killed and the ones that survived said we don't like the yankees but i don't think we want to fight them because we've never run into anything like this before ever and that's because they've never run into anything like that before ever because there is nothing like that in the world there's nothing in the world like the u.s military not even close not even close and and it's not just the weapon systems it's the it's the cooperation it's the you know it's the air sea land space battle strategy, the fact, the quick response, you know, a, a, a private or a sergeant or a corporal can call in an airstrike and that'll be delivered within five minutes because we've just got planes just, just orbiting on minimal fuel consumption, just waiting to bomb something. No, there's no, that's, that, that's just, the world has never seen that kind of dominance. And that's why I think this guy said that if we fought uh, Russians toe-to-toe, -to -toe, that the casualty rates would be about 1,001. That felt about right to me. Um, and he cannot take that kind of humiliation. Uh, so he's making it about NATO aggression and um, America's invading Russia. That's how that's how the Russians work. They invade a country without provocation, and then they lie about the cause, and then they act the victim. 
that's that's the you know if you're going to be a one-trick pony you better know how to do the trick um uh, tim morris says they were shocked at the accuracy of u.s uh, artillery fire yes they were shocked at the at the uh, lethality of the javelin and the m laws which is british but obviously a western we we weapon system uh, they were shocked by a lot of things. I think the thing that they were shocked most by was the fact that these guys are flying off-the-shelf radio, uh, off-the-shelf Best Buy drones. And not only you've seen everybody's seen the footage of them dropping these grenade bombs on individual soldiers, and that's effective in terms of a morale sap. In terms of battlefield casualties, I don't think the drones were really very effective. But what it does show is is that there was no place to hide and that these drones that were so cheap could be anywhere. It wasn't a reconnaissance plane that's over the target for an hour or 40 minutes. These things are up there all the time. And when these drones call in artillery strikes, now we're talking about we're talking about World War I weapons on target. And artillery in the first war, not in the second war because things are moving too fast, a general rule, but um, artillery was i don't know what the number was i think killed 60 or 70 percent of the total combat deaths in world war one were caused by artillery so yeah things like that we can just go in there um and and putin knows what it's like to fight us because he it was his adventure in syria where four or five hundred of his top um wagner group mercenaries were just shredded i don't think we took a casualty i don't think we took one um yeah somebody mentioned the hercules gunship uh, yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to mess with um, with spooky. That's not something you want to do. I've heard guys who have seen this, the, the uh, AC-130 in action. That's the for those of you not up on on this kind of geeking out on military and aviation stuff. It's a C-130 um, Hercules transport four turboprop. Been flying since 1950 something. Cannot be improved upon. It's just the perfect airplane for its mission. And it's capable of carrying a lot of weight. It's a transport, so they basically cleared it out. They put all the guns in it, big guns like artillery pieces, and um, and rocket uh, and mortar launchers, and a bunch of mini guns and everything. And they're all aimed out the left side of the uh, of the fuselage. And this thing just orbits around in a, in a constant left-hand bank. I understand that the pilot on this AC-130's HUD is not in front of him. His heads-up display is off to the left because that's all the C-130 does is just fly in left-hand circles. And I've heard people who have seen the C-130's at work, and they say that when the C-130's working over an area, they said it's like the ground is boiling. That's what they said. They said like, just imagine a football field that's just boiling. And I thought, well, that's pretty decent imagery, actually. I can't imagine that, and I can imagine I wouldn't want to be out there much. All right, here we go. Um, moving on to the next one for a change. Joe Roth. Now, this one I might have already covered. I don't read ahead, but let's see. Hi, Bill. Hope you're well. Thank you, Joe. That's kind of you. I hope you're well, too. Hope everybody out there is well. We all know that the GOP nominee in 2024 for president is either going to be Trump or DeSantis. I think Trump has it unless things change. I agree. Who do you think should be the VP pick on the ticket? Assuming it's Trump, should he pick a running mate that would appeal to the more moderate rhino base and blue dog Democrats? Or do you think it should be a MAGA firebrand? 
Either way, it would alienate a core group. The MAGA base is needed in order for any Republican to win. However, we need those moderate or independent uh, voters to come to our side. I thought Pence was a Bush-era-style religious right namby-pamby rhino Republican that no one really liked. What kind of VP running mate should Trump or DeSantis pick and why? A MAGA firebrand like Kerry Lake or a more moderate JFK Jr. or Tulsi Gabbard-type candidate. Moderates always cave to the leftist mob, so I tend to lean all-out MAGA ultra-conservative. What do you think? Uh, I hadn't given it a great deal of serious thought. I, I, I thought Nikki Haley was openly uh, you know, flaunting her desire for the vice presidency when she said, oh, Disney can come to South Carolina. We got... We'll take your seven thousand jobs, and we're, you know, we're not woke, but we're not sanctimonious about it. And I thought, see you later, Nikki. You're done. You're done with me. Um, but I'll tell you who. And I hadn't thought about this till you asked the question, Joe. If I was Donald Trump, I'd think seriously about Carrie Lake. I'd think seriously about her. Um. Very seriously. In fact, the more I think about it the more I come to believe that that is an unbeatable choice, at least the way the field stands now. The reason that I think she would be uh, really great is that, well, there's Arizona. She presumably would bring um, Arizona. But Carrie Lake has the ability to do what Donald Trump does, and she has the ability to, to in, in some ways, to do it better. Um, Carrie... Uh, Carrie is a fighter, and, and before the election, I watched her deal with the press. And Carrie Lake has the one thing that is indispensable in terms of conservative politicians if we want to recover the country, and that is she's not afraid of the press. She's not afraid of them, and she will not play their games. That needs to be a constitutional requirement from this point forward you know the 35 years old or whatever and natural and and you've got to be able to 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 dish it out to the press um so uh she's attractive as a woman obviously uh and um the more i think about it the more i the more i think uh she would be a really excellent vice presidential candidate Think about Carrie Lake in a debate with um, Kamala Harris. Just just ponder that for a while. I thought we were going to see um, oh my god, I might tell you my memory is really getting to bother me. I've got his face. Who was um, Romney's running mate? Who became um, Speaker of the House? Uh, Paul. Um, come on, that's going to drive me nuts. I can't believe I, I just completely spaced out on this. Uh, Paul Ryan, thank you. Yeah, Paul Ryan. It's uh, a name I'd completely forgotten. It's a forgettable name, I suppose. Um, but I, I remember in 2012 thinking that Paul Ryan was going to eat Biden for breakfast because Ryan's a sharp guy. And at the time, for those of you who may remember, 2012, Ryan was the guy who had the plan to get the country economically sound again, not just the budget, just economically sound. He had 
seemed to me to be a good economic plan. And he could have destroyed Biden, and he didn't. And he let Biden just laugh the whole way through. So, so, so Paul Ryan, whatever happened to him after that, or whatever you think about him after that, Paul Ryan could have disassembled Joe Biden, but he did. He had the brain for it. He didn't have the stomach for it. He just didn't have the killer instinct. And Trump does. And I get the feeling Carrie Lake uh, as well. I think Carrie Lake. Well, I, I've seen Carrie Lake. I've seen her. And Ron DeSantis can do this too. I've seen all of all three of them, Trump, Lake, and DeSantis, accused of things and have them interrupt the question in the middle of the question and just say that's absolute, utter garbage before they finish the sentence. And um, that's that's the that's the bare bones minimum. You, if you don't have that, it's over. If you do have it, it's not a win, but at least you're not you're not finished before you get out of the gate. Um, you know, gentleman John McCain, who gave us Obamacare for the rest of time, you know, um, wow, what a maverick. Uh, he um, he gave up six weeks before the election. He probably gave up before he got the nomination. He was he was widely uh, heard to say, I'm not going to be the guy who stands in the in the way of the first black American president. And my thought was, that's fine, John, you know, welcome to your opinion. But you might want to get out of the way. And let people know that you that you not only don't think you can win this election, that you don't want to. You don't want to win this election. That was insane. And Sarah Palin was pulling him hard the whole way, just like, you know, come on, come on, come on. Um, so this, this kind of McCain, kind of Romney kind of guy, this, this, this argument's been had a thousand times. I'm not going to get into this argument. There's a flavor of this argument I haven't heard before, and that flavor is simply this. If the rhinos had stood up a little more, then there wouldn't be a division between the rhinos and, and the MAGA Republicans. If the rhinos had had a little more spine, just a little more, then the whole MAGA movement never would have happened. The reason the Republican Party is, is split, and I, and I think the MAGA half of it is much bigger than the other half, but that MAGA Republican versus traditional Republican thing is there because the traditional Republicans caved so many times and and just walked away from potential wins, you know. And the, I think the, the, the crown jewel of this, of this, you know, too much respect for people who don't deserve it, was when Romney had Obama on the ropes in foreign policy and Candy Crowley inserted herself into the argument and Romney just kind of muttered something and anybody with a spine would have said, hey, you're not running for president. You're not running for president. You're a person with a microphone. No one's elected you. You don't get to be in this argument. You get to ask the questions and we answer them. Shut up until I'm finished. Now, Obama, Mr. Obama, and he just, just should it. And if he'd done that, people would have cheered, cheered him to the rafters, but he just didn't, he just didn't have it. Didn't have it. I saw Romney at a fundraiser in California, I don't know, a month before the election in the San Francisco area. And he um, spoke to, these are wealthy Republicans. So the room full of wealthy, really wealthy Republicans and me. And he basically said, look, don't worry, whatever money we raise here tonight, don't worry, we're not going to spend it on California because we don't have a chance to win California. Now, on some level, you can say that's real politic and, and that's correct. But from a, but from a philosophical angle, I just thought that was suicide. I just thought, what do you mean we can't win California? 
I'm enough of a realist to know how the deck is stacked against us in California. I live here. But that's not my point. My point is, is that if Romney had gone, Romney should have should have run the campaign the way that anybody who wants to win would. And if it were me running for president, I would say not only are we going to win 50 states, we're going to get 100% of the vote. I'm going for 100% of the vote. That's my objective. 100% of the vote. I want to get everybody. I at least want to make, I know I'm not going to get everybody, but I want to get everybody. I'm going to make the case to every single person out there, every single group. I'm going to, I'm going to make the best case for this, and I'm going to, I'm going to show them why it's in their interest to, to change this system. And, and, and I just walked in, you know, with like, well, we've already lost these states, these states, these states, because their pollsters tell them this. But you lose this. I mean, most of these elections are what, 53, 47? That's a fairly big win, you know? That's why this Florida thing was just so earth shaking, astonishing. Nobody wins by 30, 30 points. You usually win by three points, if that. Um, and. And he just, you know, and he had that 47% of the countries, they're never going to vote for us because they're on welfare. That was his um, basket of deplorables moment, you know. And they were right to, um, they were right to go after him on that because, because the answer to the problem is not to say screw 47% of the country. The answer to the problem is to make the case to the 47% of the country that was on federal assistance. I think that's what he was making the criteria on. The way to win the election and save the country is to say, all right, now, the 47% of you that are currently on government assistance, let me tell you why I'm going to be better for you than continuing down this road. I would have gone for all of them. I would have gone for all of them. I wouldn't have left a vote on the table, not one. And, and that attitude is what makes the difference between winners and losers. Reagan had that attitude. I never saw Reagan... I never saw Reagan, I've seen Reagan angry, but I never saw Reagan, I don't think I ever saw Reagan mean. I saw him angry, and I, and I, but, but Reagan, his sense, his sense of humor was just so unbelievably disarming, and his optimism, I mean, you know, that's how I would have gone at it, and turns out he only won 49 out of 50 states, right, both times? I don't think he did that in '76. So did it? Sorry, in '80. But in '84, he he ran 49 out of 50 states. Quibo um, uh, two says we're in the minority. Well, we may be in the minority of the population, but we're not in the minority of uh, voters if our voters show up and theirs don't. And in order for that to happen, you have to have a case for your own people, and you have to have a case for the other side to make it palatable enough for them to not go vote that day. This is not vote suppression. It's not a strategy of voter suppression. It's just whoever shows up wins. And especially if you happen to own the um, Secretary of State of that particular state and the Attorney General. Um, yep. Okay, here we go. A uh, new question. Uh, this is a, a super chat from uh, Deef. Uh, Bill, it's 1095 AD. Oh, boy, that was a rough year. I remember that so well. And Pope Urban II has just given the Council of Claremont calling Christians to take up the cross and liberate the Holy Land. Do you join the First Crusade or not? I'll give you my knee jerk. You just hit me in the, in the knee with a rubber hammer answer, and the answer is yes. Yes. That's not my considered opinion, and I'm not sure that would be my final decision. But when... 
the question formed itself in my mind, would I do it? I'd say yes, I absolutely would do it. Absolutely. The Holy Land, Palestine, now Israel, let's just say Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not always a Muslim town. Actually, I read a book on the history of Jerusalem, it was very good. It's amazing the number of people that have run, different kinds of people that have run Jerusalem. But if I'm, if I'm a, a European king, if I'm in, in 1095 AD, I'm very likely to believe in, really believe my religion. Imagine that, huh? Believe in it and take it seriously. And if somebody said, these infidels have come in and destroyed the cross all over the land where the cross actually was erected, and we better do something about it, I'd say, I'm in. Absolutely, let's go. 100%. And you got to factor in too, now it's still pretty early at that point, 1095, but the, but the um, Muslims are expanding. They're not at their maximum. I don't want to say that happened around 1400 or something when they uh, finally kicked them out of Spain. But yeah, I would have done it. And, and a lot of people say it was kind of like the perception of the Vietnam War, unwinnable. The Vietnam War wasn't unwinnable because we want it. And we want it with both hands tied behind our back. Um, and the Crusades took Jerusalem, didn't they? Maybe they didn't. They, they got, I actually don't remember. I know they got that, that giant stronghold where the hospitalers were, but they could have, right? And, and the reason that they didn't succeed was because the Christians were not only fighting each other, but they were stealing from each other. They were, they were looting each other. They were just constantly you know they got the the venetians ripped them off you know really took them for a, a ride and um and if they had been if they had been the problem was was that since it was essentially what we would call a multinational coalition this took place in an authoritarian age where there is the king this is my king and I, respond, I, I fight for my king. Okay, well, now my king has told me to go here, and so is the French king, and so is the Spanish king, or whoever was there. And now I've got these other soldiers on either side of me, and they're fighting for their king. I'm fighting for my king. We're both going in the same direction, but we're not the same army. And that was, I think, the fatal flaw of the Crusades. But people, the left, is, the left always, always, always does this. They always invert who's the aggressor, you know, this, they, they try to make the Cold War about the about the U.S. just doing nothing but going to other lands for quests for oil, and it's just the Cold War was nothing but responding to Soviet aggression. That's personally the same bucket I chucked the Ukraine situation into. Um, the the Crusaders were not going as invaders to the Holy Land; they were going to restore. The religion that was there before the Muslims invaded. Now, I don't buy this whole kind of, you know, the, look, the land, the only two people have claims on a land are the first people there and the people who are there now. They're the only ones who have any legitimate claim to the land, and the people who started on the land aren't here anymore, so it's just the way it goes. You know, I did a, a segment on, um, it was in the What We Believe series, and I took, a, I think I took Lubbock, Texas. And, and this was, you know, when the 
Mexican the Aslan movement, you know, the, the, the whole kind of Mexico. Mexicans living in America wanting the territories that America got after the Mexican-American War returned to Mexico. This, is, this was really hot item. And so, you know, this is our land. This, you know, they're saying Texas is our land. It's all our land. I said, okay. So if um, El Kingdom, Jerusalem, 1099 to 1187. Well, that's a long time, man. Anyway, um, so I said, okay. So you want to be fair if, it, if you got a claim to the land. If, so then the U.S. has to give Texas back to Mexico. But it can't give Texas back to Mexico first. First, it has to go to the Confederacy because the Confederacy had Texas before we did. So we have to return Texas to the Confederacy. Then the Confederacy has to return Texas to Texas, to the Republic of Texas. And then the Republic of Texas has to turn it over to Mexico. And then the Mexicans have to turn it over to the Spanish, and the Spanish have to turn it over to the French, and then the French have to hand it back to the Spanish, and then they have to hand it to either the Apaches or the Comanches. I followed this thing all the way back to... Uh, 26,000 BC prehistory, you know, first people across the land bridge kind of thing. And I think there were 11 or 12 different ownership things. So it's very convenient for people to say, well, they, you, you know, this is our land. It's like, it used to be our land. Well, it's not anymore. And uh, and if you're saying you stole it from us, well, we want it in a war. And you want it in a war too. So you don't get to sit on that high horse. Now, you might have a compelling argument for it, but nevertheless, this, this business of you took it from us is not a morally decisive argument. Yeah, we we didn't we won a battle, a number of battles. Actually we just sent our cadets in and they conquered your entire country or the heart of your capital, but you know, who's counting? And and that's what Mexico did when they took it from when Mexico declared its independence from Spain, that's what the Spanish did to the to the uh, to the Aztecs, and, and, and back it goes. Um, Monkey training for a super chat here, real quick. Uh, Marines and one of my Marines and one of my with the Marines and one of my with the ones who dropped some mortars on Wagner Group. Oh, killed hundreds, and Putin just slinked away like the paper tiger he is. Um, Monk in training there, uh, if I understand that correctly, uh, I don't know if you were a, a part of that. I know that the Marines were a part of that, and any Marine Corps, you know, Pacific War is going to cover the Marine Corps in glory forever, and 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 every every time since then too, including Fallujah. Um, all right, trying to catch up with these chats here. How are we doing? And we're all right. Okay, let's see what we got next. Good. Um, Roadrunner with a question. OMG, O'Keefe Media Group. James O'Keefe is now being sued by his old project Veritas. The question, what do you think PB is trying to accomplish with this lawsuit? Getting back some of the project Veritas funds that they felt James misspent? Punishment for being a meanie boss, embarrassing him, negotiating his effectiveness before 2024, sorry, negating his effectiveness before 2024. What advice would you give him, being the more experienced and much older statement of the two of you? Uh, well, uh, I would tell that young whippersnapper to do exactly what he's doing. 
I don't know James O'Keefe well, but I do consider him a friend. Um, we've been to, needless to say, several events together and had a significant amount of time to talk when we weren't in these events. And I told him at the beginning of this, once he once did the acorn thing, but once it was clear that he was going to keep doing this kind of thing, I walked up to him. I said, as far as I'm concerned, you're the most important piece on the board. And I meant it, and I still mean it. Um, so when when O'Keefe was uh, was forced out by the board of um, Project Veritas, I know some donors, big donors for Project Veritas. I know I know them relatively well. A big big donors, and these uh, men were so proud of what James O'Keefe was accomplishing. They would just send out these emails. Oh, looks like he got another one. Looks like he got another one. Best dollars I ever spent. You know, blah blah blah. And they're absolutely right. One hundred percent right. 100%. And um, and the idea that I was just going to say, how could anybody on the Project Veritas board realize that this was nothing other than the complete dissolution of what's there and that O'Keefe is just going to pack his bag, he's going to move across the street, and he's going to set up shop, he's going to be more successful. It's exactly what Tucker Carlson did. How, how stupid do you have to be to think that you can run Project Veritas without James O'Keefe? And how stupid do you have to be to think you can keep Fox News at the top of the charts when, when, you, when you fired Tucker Carlson or, 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 or reach, a mutual, reach a mutual understanding, whatever the case may be? Tucker Carlson is the draw. James, o, James O'Keefe is Project Veritas. Project Veritas without James O'Keefe was like Apple without Steve Jobs when they kicked him out of his own company. And they started making beige boxes that looked exactly like PCs, behaved like PCs, just cost three times as much as a PC. I've heard that Apple was within six months of bankruptcy when they brought Steve Jobs back. And first thing Jobs did was create the iMac, the, the, the blue plastic clear one. Bing! You know, uh, Breitbart as well, uh, Sad Wings Raging, uh, says uh, with a little tear emoji, and I agree about the tear emoji. Um, and uh, by the way, uh, Emery Calamy, or Cal yeah, I think it's Calamy, with a super chat says, Texas was only part of Mexico for 13 years, California for 26 years. Interesting. Um, so, what are they? What what is their objective? Well, I was going to say they might, look, my first instinct on this when I heard this news, my first instinct was that this is, that this is sabotage because O'Keefe got Pfizer on camera saying, yeah, we, we, we never tested the vaccine. Remember that? That was, what, three, four days before this whole thing happened? Where they where they got the guy who was headed, it was like one of their marketing guys or something, hidden camera, uh, this black guy and a uh, black gay man, and they, they sent this guy in to date him a couple times and stuff, and then he's saying on camera, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we did it. And for the first time and only time I've ever seen this in my entire long, 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 long life, ever, ever have I seen this when it was revealed that there was footage of him hidden camera footage he actually got violent and started climbing over tables to get the camera I've never seen that before ever I've seen people storm out I've seen people look down be defeated I've seen people claim it didn't happen I've never seen somebody who was so terrified that they went and tried to destroy the camera and Pfizer is Pfizer that's that's who he got he didn't get acorn he didn't get you know um, 
he didn't get the the LA County Department of uh, of uh, Water and Power. He got Pfizer to admit that their vaccine was untested and that they knew it and that it has a lot of problems. That's that's a a society changing piece of video, and sure enough three or four days after that was released, then all of a sudden society changed, at least for James O'Keefe, right? So I think that, that there was pressure put on a number of board members, and I mean big pressure, big pressure, um, on the board. I don't know which one, which members of the board, but I mean I mean like the kind of pressure that, that you know, our insect overlords can apply. And there are people that are immune to that kind of pressure. I'm immune to it. I'd like to try it. You know, maybe they could send me a couple billion dollars, and I could see if I could return most of it. But generally, I won't. I won't violate my principles for money. Neither would James O'Keefe. He, he, he wouldn't. He, you know, he um, he just walked out of there. And and the the second he walked out of there, the instant I heard the news, I texted him and I said, "Buddy, wherever you go." Everybody, including the money, is going to follow you, and you're going to be back in business in a week. Good luck, and I think this is going to, in the long run, be good for you. Thanks, man. You know, it's clear with uh, with all of these guys. And uh, Sad Wings Raging says the same thing with Tucker and his uh, January sixth uh, report. Funny how, when you touch that um, that uh, raw nerve, how the how the big the big 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 machine starts to rattle. I never believed in big, big, big machine before, but I do now because of the evidence, because of the overwhelming weight of evidence. But um, what they did was they applied pressure to the cowards who are on board of directors and, and run corporations, but they can't apply pressure to um, Tucker Carlson or James O'Keefe, no matter what you think of them, and I hold them both in high regard, the big, big guys can't put pressure on them because they're immune to them. They don't care about the money, and they don't even care about death threats. James O'Keefe, the only thing I regret about this was I just thought Project Veritas was a was a great name. Veritas means the truth, obviously. And, and so when I heard that they're suing him, I asked myself, well, wh- you know, why are you going to make whatever shreds of support you have left? Why are you going to, you know, lose those people too? And then I realized, for the same reason that Bud Light ran a commercial with Dylan Mulvaney, which I believe is at twenty-six billion dollars now. Um, I saw a video. I think it was on Odin's Men. Dylan is vacationing in Bora Bora. Tora Bora. Bora Bora. I can't remember which one's a. Tropical Paradise, and which one's a Afghani wasteland? Tora Bora. Um, and uh, and it said, oh well, you know, I spent the last two months kind of depressed and all the rest of this stuff, but I'm back on my game now, and you know, and, and did his little did his little Dylan thing, and I'm thinking, you sir, are the twenty-six billion dollar man. You know, it's not fun to realize that you're unpopular. It's not nice when it's not a good feeling when you realize that people don't like you, especially a lot of people. But when you think about it, and he must have thought about, I don't know if he must have thought about it. Anybody self-aware would think about it. It's got to be quite a feeling, really, 
come to realize that you are so widely despised that a company's going to look going to lose 26,000 million dollars. 26,000 million dollars of value because they went with me as their spokesman and not only the financial value but an iconic American brand has been destroyed and I don't see any way it's coming back. I don't I don't I don't think I'm that unpopular frankly and and I don't think uh, I can't think of a person that that is that universal that had that kind of effect. Um uh, Brew Daddy says he's curious what Mulvaney got paid for the commercial. My understanding was it was in the neighborhood of one or two hundred grand. It wasn't like some gigantic long-term deal. It was a one-off commercial for the was it March Madness or something. I think there's some kind of a game going on. I think it involves a ball of some kind. I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, in any event. Uh, yeah, it must have been a rough couple um, months for Dylan. And I remember clearly thinking, speaking of uh, of Dylan, I had an opinion about Dylan Mulvaney. And then I saw the clip of him from The Price is Right several years before he became trans. And I have never in my life, this is the third time I've said this in this show, but I mean it every time, I have never in my life seen anybody who is that much of an attention whore as as Dylan Mulvaney. I've never seen anybody who who struck me as like this is the last helicopter out of Saigon kind of level of desperation to get attention that Dylan Mulvaney did on The Price is Right. That was the most appalling, unbelievable, crass, low, vulgar, cynical, narcissistic, pointless orgy of, of 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 need that I've ever seen. And if you haven't seen it, it really is amazing. He runs up and down, falls on the floor, rolls around, you know, he, it's like he, he's, you know, was it Drew Carey who was the host then? I, I, th I don't know if it was or not, but, you know, it's like he's just running around, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Okay. So I remember when, when this Bud blood, White thing happened and it looked like it was going to stick, I remember thinking, well, Dylan, you wanted to be famous. Now you are. Now you're famous. Now you're world famous. You're well known to the entire country. You're probably the most unpopular person in, in America right now, and maybe the world. Um, so, um, you know, got to be careful what you wish for. Um, anyway, I just said something bad about Dylan Mulvaney, so my time on YouTube is probably. Uh, uh, numbered in the hours, and I just don't care anymore. And I've never cared. Okay, well, we got to do this one because Bob Knife is uh, looking at me with an NRA hat, some some boss sunglasses, and an attitude like in his little in his uh, his avatar icon here thing. It's like I don't want to piss off Bob Knife, especially a guy named Bob Knife. Fifth time. Bob, I'm all yours, and I apologize sincerely. I'm not making fun of you. I'm sorry it took me five times to get to this. A few weeks ago, you gave an eloquent statement about the general welfare, and I agree with you. However, Article 1, Section 8, not the preamble, unfortunately says to lay and collect taxes, duties, imports, and excises, to pay the debts, and to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. I am kind of, I have a feeling I answered this last time, um, but 
maybe that's just the conversation I have with the voices in my head. Now, I agree the term provide for the general, for general welfare has been bastardized by Democrats and provide for had a different meaning to the founding fathers, but nonetheless, it does state provide for. I'd love to hear how you would argue what the founders meant by that. And when I discussed this before, I don't know if it was on Stratosphere Lounge, I just don't remember, but I said, I'm not gonna take issue with the words provide. The, the founders knew what they were doing. The founders got everything. I've, I've yet to find an error that they've made. I found plenty of things go wrong where we didn't obey the law or we decided to put a period where a comma is. I see that all the time. But I've never seen them make a mistake about anything. The system is so perfectly designed that it's 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 just one of the strongest arguments for the existence of a god frankly it is just amazingly astonishingly profoundly true so i'm not saying that the founders were talking about the dole because i don't think that the issue is with the word provide i think the issue is with the general welfare i think that's where the that's where i would make the argument um it says provide for the general welfare. Okay, well, if it's so in the Constitution, then it's in the Constitution. But if you take money from me and giving it to somebody else, you're not providing for the general welfare. You're providing for the specific welfare. You're disadvantaging some Americans in order to in order to raise and enrich enrich um, enrich other Americans. That's not the general welfare. That's the precise opposite of the general welfare. Anything that is for the general welfare benefits all of us equally. So the idea of taking money from one person and giving them to somebody else is not the general welfare. It's, it's, it's the it's antithesis of the general welfare. General welfare would be something along the lines of the air traffic control system, right? I mean, I'm not saying the founders had that specifically in mind, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Um, that's a good example of something that the government needs to spend on the general welfare. It's in the interest of all Americans, even if you're not flying, it's in your interest to not have airplanes come falling out of the sky. So provide for the general welfare, yes. That means that you can spend money on things that we all get equally, that we all benefit equally, but any, and Colonel Angus has a great point general welfare would be the Louisiana purchase. Absolutely. And so would um, Seward's Folly in Alaska. That would be for the general welfare. Um, but but anyway, hang on. Alpha Cat don't have time to watch now, but stopping to say hi. Looking forward to watching later. Well, thank you, Alpha Cat. It's good to see you. It's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Hope, hope to see you come back next Thursday. Um, so, yeah, so that's, uh, general, that's, that's where I would shoot it down. And I think you're on solid constitutional grounds. And when I say solid constitutional grounds, you're on solid constitutional grounds because you're on solid linguistic grounds. That's the genius of, oh, there's Bob. He looks so much friendlier in the chat section. In, 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 the, the, in the members section, he looks like he's going to shiv me in the back. And I wouldn't blame him either after five times. Um, it's, it's just, it, it is what it is, you know. It is what it is. And, uh, and they know it. So this is why they use their rhetorical intelligence to do things like, we'll name it welfare because it's in the Constitution. So, okay. You could have named it general welfare. Then you'd be right. But then you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing with welfare, would you? So that's kind of a problem. Anyway, great question. Thank you for that, Bob. Let's see what we got here. Hey, hold on. Hold on. We're, we're, we're looking at two questions left, and we will have run the table at just about the right time. Hold on. 
technically we're actually looking at one question because I'm going to try to impose a one one per customer kind of rule here. But uh, since it's not one of the usual suspects, I'll take these final two. Um, oh, this is a, sorry. It's Joe Roth resp responding to Bob um, Bob's uh, question. And as usual, it's it's extremely cogent and well-written argument predicated on a deep understanding of the structure of this country, just like what I'd expect from people who hang around here, which you make me look really good, make me look better than I am, actually. I'm very grateful for that. Okay, so the final question then it goes to Marusha Dark, whose, um, whose uh, avatar appears to be a, a, an individual sitting in a yellow chair, but from me with my failing eyesight, always looks exactly like Big Bird looking right at the camera. Um, Bill, by now I'm sure you've probably heard the news of major forest fires raging across Quebec. It got so bad the other day that the smog even reached here in New Jersey and pretty much the entirety of New England was issued air quality warnings with people being told to stay indoors. Toughen up, snowflakes. You should get used to breathing s smoke. That's, that's We go to work through, through, we walk through forest fires to go to work out here. On Discord, I sent you a link of a video of a live satellite feed showing multiple fires across the province all igniting at once, which seems highly unlikely. It does, doesn't it? I guess with all the math euthanasia, the Canadian government needed someplace to burn the bodies. Good Lord. You know, this is the thing about dark humor. It's like, it, it just it just takes the edge off of something that is so true that if, if you played it straight, you just couldn't get out of your mouth. All joking aside, though, to my eyes, based on the video, it does seem like eco-terrorism and organized arson, assuming the video is real. Conspiracy hypotheses abound about it, but we're not sure of the details yet about what caused the fire. Wouldn't surprise me if after the threat of COVID passed, the World Economic Forum-based Canadian government, backed Canadian government, are looking for the next reason to scare people about climate change and getting used to staying indoors. Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, yes. Um, I've always been careful about this, and I'm, and I'm going to be careful about it now. This show's not widely watched. I don't think it's going to be. A, it's not like it's a security leak or anything. It's just something that I just generally, I don't like talking about things that are beneficial to people who can harm the country. Uh, real quick, Cody Fett for $5 says, everyone thought that Alaska was a great purchase at the time. Not sure where the Seward's Folly line got started. I've heard nothing but people saying it was a catastrophe, but that's just what I'm reading. So if there's another side to it, Cody, that's great. Anyway, um, back to the fires. Um, when we were in the post-911 days and we were wondering where the next attack was coming from, um, and we were checking underneath, when I was working, I was working in a movie studio at the time, and uh, and to get on the lot, we had to have the, you know, the mirror underneath the car checking for explosives and opening the trunks checking for explosives. And I remember one of the Onion articles or something was talking about what the, you know, with the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Duluth County Public Library was doing to harden itself against terrorist attacks, something like that. Um, but it occurred to me that the easiest and simplest way to do massive amounts of damage would be to take five people with a Bic lighter into the Hollywood Hills in the end of summer. And that's all it would take. Uh, these California fires occasionally seem to be um, 
sometimes they're lightning strikes, sometimes they're a, a fire that maybe shouldn't have been there, got out of control. Certainly some of them are deliberate arson, but they're deliberate arson by one person who's lighting a fire in one place, and that fire could extend to hundreds of thousands of acres and kill many people like it did several years ago. Um, just burn out an entire town here. But if you think about it, not only would it be a very small number of people, a trip to 7-Eleven would get you armed. And furthermore, it's not like you're driving around with a bomb in your car, right? If you're not caught red-handed doing it, then you just walk away, you know? Um, so like I said, I don't like to really harp on these kind of things, but to answer your question about, about whether it was intentional or not, uh, terror arson would destroy Southern California. And honestly, I really believe I could, just by myself, meaning any one person could, could, could conceivably, if you pick your time right, you know what you're doing, you wait for the winds in the right direction, conceivably one person, you know, in a Toyota in one night could, for all intents and purposes, make Southern California uninhabitable. Um, and, uh, and you got to figure too, that, um, if there are wildfires in Quebec, I, I cer certainly have my sympathy. I've, I've seen these things here. They're horrific. Um, uh, but it's considerably wetter up there than it is down here. And, and this entire county is. And we had a very, very wet year. We had such a wet summer, I mean, such a wet winter that they declared like a, an emergency and extension on your taxes and all the rest of the stuff because it rained. But for California, it rained a lot. Florida guy, it's like, well, did I miss something? Um, but by California standards, it was a real rain. Um, and that helped us with our reservoir problems and also can be a problem because these... Um, these these tumbleweeds and sagebrushes and all the things that are out there the wild the wild weeds that are on the hillsides everywhere they are um, biologically wired to grow like crazy when there's water they're weeds basically so every year in Southern California we get a, a week of rain pretty much a week it seems and it, and then that's pretty much it and then shortly after that you can drive through California especially if you go out on the 101 from Los Angeles towards Santa Barbara. And for maybe three weeks out of the year, you can tell yourself you're in Ireland, you know? It is just emerald green everywhere. It's just green, green, the greenest green I've ever seen. It's all these plants just doing everything they have to do for the year. Now, the problem with a wet winter is that while it, while it helps with the reservoirs, it means that the amount of, of flammable undergrowth has grown explosively right now it's not dry but it will be and and that is uh the downside of of what winners now if we had a government a federal government or a state government any any sense of adults in charge if there were adults in control if i was the governor of florida um if i was the governor of california rather then while things were still wet while it was still raining I would look at, I'd get real experts in there, and I would get lots of different experts. I'd go to the wisdom of the crowds. I'd get people from every 
walk of life. I'd get farmers. I'd get um, long-term residents, but I would certainly get firefighting experts and all the rest of them. I'd get, I'd get meteorologists. And uh, before it rained uh, that year, I would sit down with them and I would take a look at the, at the areas that are at the biggest risk for wildfire. And I would say, what can we do while it's raining to firewall these things? What, what if we, if we have limited resources and limited time. So if we're going to bulldoze a couple of lines, right? If we're just going to go out there with bulldozers, and I'm going to mobilize every bulldozer I get my hands on as governor. What would we have to do in what order to put circuit breakers into this wildfire thing? And that's what a government would do. Yeah. AKA Woody Fool says, manage the forest heresy. Not even a forest, it's just weeds. Weeds. Manage it? Yes, absolutely. And 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 I do it while it's raining, you know? Because you could you could it it, it is the perfect fuel. It is very, very, very dry. And unlike a tree trunk, which really needs a lot of heat to get going, you know, it's hard to burn a log. You know, you, everybody's ever had a fireplace, you know, that you put a log in there. And, and if you don't already have a fire going, it takes a little bit of tinder to get the, the, the log a, a rolling. If the log is already, I mean, if the fire is already burning, then the log will go pretty fast. But it takes a while, right? And that same thing applies to wildfires. It takes a significant duration of fire, not, not just extent, but duration to catch big trees on fire. But these things, these are literally tumbleweeds from the movies. They are they are the perfect fuel. They're nothing but fuel surrounded by air. They're, you couldn't design a, a more flammable thing than, than these things. So once that thing starts, man, it goes. And, and fire will move in two directions. Fire will move downwind and fire will move uphill. That's all it does. Fire doesn't go into the wind and fire doesn't go downhill it doesn't so i would look at the map and i'd have geologists i'd have everybody and i'd say all right we got let's what what is the most likely place to see a fire and what would be the most catastrophic outcome and what would we have to do to prevent that let's get out there and start stripping the hillside how wide does this strip have to be i think it'd have to be pretty wide to be honest with you because my point about that being so so um, flammable is that if you're dealing with a large forest, you could put a couple hundred yards of, of uh, just clear the ground for a couple hundred yards. I'd probably do it. But with these fires and, and with the winds, it only takes a couple of embers to just light the whole, the whole county up, right? Just light it up. So um, I, I don't know if, if, if you see an authentic picture Rusha of fire starting in a line at the same time somebody's at work and it doesn't have to be our insect overlords but it could be um, again uh, I don't like talking about this much it's not like this is widely I certainly wouldn't say this if I was on the air like on TV or anything but the amount of damage that could be done by uh, coordinated organized arson is unbelievable and I'm really quite surprised that it hasn't happened yet um so um all right uh well douglas uh, i'm sorry gex uh, is it gexiola sorry sorry douglas i don't mean to 
butcher your name. I hate it when people do that to me. Hopefully it's Douglas Gaxiola. You forgot the three years of required environmental impact assessments and then 12 years of fighting lawsuits from all of the eco-Nazis. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, I, uh, I did forget that. Well, I'm assuming that I was elected dictator. Uh, and the first thing I would do is elect a dictator is I'd get rid of all the bureaucracy. And the second thing I'd do would be I would limit my term. Um, let's see. Uh, I think that's about it. I, I was the first student on first row. Hang on. Yeah, uh, Deep uh, with his Canadian flag um, avatar says, I was first aid on a forest fire at Pelican Lake in British Columbia in 2010, and I remember the wind picking up and watching a wall of fire consume row after row of trees closing in on us before the wind shifted. We used to see these in Florida too, believe it or not. There were Everglades fires every now and then, and those things lit up too. Looking back on it, I, I don't know how the Everglades could have burned because the Everglades is nothing but water, but nevertheless it did. And... Um, and so every year when there's forest fires out here, big fire, wildfires, there's always footage of somebody, you know, driving down a trail or something and they just keep going and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And those are really scary and unnerving. However, the only thing I saw um, is uh, that really freaked me out was, uh, it didn't freak me out, it just impressed me. I want to say three, four years ago, the 405 freeway burned and there is video footage taken where you're coming down the hill um, from the valley down into um, Brentwood and it's like descending into hell I mean the whole the whole thing is just walls and walls of flame and it goes all the way around and you're just driving down this thing and the fire is just getting deeper and deeper and, and wider and that's a that's an experience all right uh, Douglas again says, Bill, are you still interested in background on the info on the Naval Reactors Program? Very much. I sent you an email. Shelley said she would forward it to you. I think she did, Douglas. Um, I hate to ask you to do this. If you could do it again, would you just um, put reactors in the title line and send it to info and ask Shelley to send it to me again? Just because I, I really do want to see it, and it'd be probably faster and easier than um, me searching for it. And my apologies for missing it earlier because I'm genuinely interested in that stuff, especially now with Major Mace Mattingly and all the rest of it. All right, that's going to do it. I'm going home, and well, I'm not going home yet, but I'm going to start packing my bags. Um, got the questions done. That's the main thing. Uh, so uh, this show is made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com, who continue to support this organization through thick and thin, and um, for whom we are uh, eternally grateful. And I mean that sincerely think about it every day it's not a day that goes by when i don't think about uh, the people that you know part with ten dollars a month to allow me to continue doing this and steve and scott and zoe and all the rest of them uh, very grateful on a daily basis and and very grateful and very uh appreciative of the life i've been able to lead thanks to thanks to you know the contributions of of, of those of you out there most of you are uh, stratosphere lounge guys so Again, thank you very much for that, and on behalf of my wife as well, as well as Stephen Scott and Shelley and Mark, our editor, and Zoe, and the uncounted thousands that I have down in the HR department. Um, uh, thanks for all of that. So um, we'll see you Monday night. I'm making progress on the uh, major Mace Mattingly stuff, and 
until then, I guess uh, that'll do it. So um, I guess it's time to just go ahead, you know, and just kind of push the button, Frank.